This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Okay, so my name's Howard and we're in a series called Culture Shift and guess what it's called this morning? It's called Dying to Self Baptism. Um, And what we're going to do is baptism today is really the antithesis or the total opposite of our cultural moment. It's the total opposite of those kind of things. And so what we're going to be doing this this today, outside there we've got a, a pool and we're going to be burying two individuals. We're going to be saying that these people, these two guys, have have died to freedom without reference to Jesus. We've been talking about freedom uh, to do our own thing, but these guys have died to that kind of freedom, and uh, they've died to create their own identity and say, my identity is now in Jesus, his life, his death and resurrection. And they've died with, they've died to living as they choose. They've surrendered their autonomy to the one who surrendered his life for them on the cross. So those, that is massively countercultural to say, I'm, I'm going to have my freedom in reference to somebody else, I'm going to have my identity in reference to somebody else, and I'm going to live what, not, not by what I choose, but by what they say. That is hugely countercultural. But that's what becoming a Christian is. Yes? Okay. You're not so sure. Okay, hopefully we'll be by the end. Okay, so we're not going to jump out of Daniel. We're going to be back in Daniel next week. Um, but we're going to be uh, jumping out of Paul's letter to the Colossians, and quite a lot of our songs kind of had a lot of this stuff in there. So uh, we're in, starting Colossians 2.8. Uh, I've uh, chopped the reading down. Don't, it's not because I don't want to do the Bible justice, but I just don't want your heads to blow, because Paul can be sometimes quite difficult to understand, as can I. Okay, Colossians 2. It says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking. I love that. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the elementary forces of this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of God lives in human body. So, you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is ruler over every ruler and authority. For you've been buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, but, um, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut off, but God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He cancelled the, written, uh, uh, cancelled the record of charges against us and took it away, nailing it to the cross." In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. You have died with Christ and he set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world? uh, Chapter 3 then. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your uh, sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think of the things of heaven, not of the things of earth. If you've died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Lord, we just pray as we look at Paul's uh, 
passage here on baptism and living a countercultural life, dying to self, risen with you, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we wouldn't just think, that's nice for Tom and Nathan, but Lord, I pray that you'd make this so, so real to us, make it so real to me again, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so my confession is, I've never watched Game of Thrones. I think, actually, I did watch the first episode, actually, so I tell a lie, and it was a little bit fruity, and I thought, this is probably not going to go very well. Uh, but actually, so I'm not going to ask you if you've watched Games of Thrones, so some of you are looking. But I, did, I asked Wiki about Games of Thrones, and I said, what is Game of Thrones about? And Wikipedia says this, Game of Thrones is a conflict <clears throat> among the noble dynasties vying to claim the Iron Throne or fighting from independence from it. So here's this story about, uh, can we can just about see it, can't we? Here's this story, I want to be on the throne, and if I'm not on the throne, I'm going to be independent from the throne. We should have heard that story before, eh? Because actually, that's the story of humanity. That's God's big story. You know, I, I, Glenn Srivner, who wrote the 3 to 1 course that we use, uh, great, uh, preached here a few years ago, he says every story is God's big story. Every great story is really ultimately the God's great story. And so Game of Thrones is actually a picture of God's great story. It's unconsciously distilled from that big story. So let's, let's try and kind of put the idea of thrones. It's interesting, lots of singing about thrones in our, um, in our worship. But basically the story, the big story of God is that God sits on the throne, Okay. Hopefully that, that, that's not a shock to you, that God sits on the throne. He's called the Lord or Almighty. He's God who sits on the throne. But humanity was given the role of steward. If you like Lord of the Rings, you get the idea of steward. He's not the king, but sits on the throne. Uh, below the steward is a steward. Um, and he, the, humanity was given the role of steward of God's good world to exercise authority on God's behalf for that world. So we've got a throne which God sits on, and we're sort of next to the throne. We're not on the throne. We're given responsibility to work for the one who sits on the throne. Now, you know the story, and you've probably heard this, uh, and I've used some of these quotes before, but basically there's an elemental, that, that word comes from Paul, we'll pick it in a minute, elemental lie that slithered into this world, and we've said this in our, on our series on, on, on um, culture shift, that God's not to be trusted that his commands are restrictive and work against our freedom and flourishing. So there's this lie comes in that actually you want to be on the throne, don't you? You want to be on the throne. And even though Adam and Eve didn't have the propensity of sin that we have, they go, yes, they believe the lie that actually we would be better if we were on the throne. Life would definitely be better if we were on the throne because the one who sits on the throne, God, he's definitely holding out on us. He's saying you can't do that, you can't eat that, you can't have that. Why? God's really keeping the best for himself, so wouldn't it be better if we had the throne? And that's the lie, and we go for it. We take out, we take out eat the fruit, that's what the story says, and we eat the fruit, and basically it's a declaration of independence. It's saying, I want to sit on the throne, and if I can't sit on the throne, I'm definitely not having God rule over me. We used this quote a few weeks ago, Dallas Willard, an um, American guy, sadly died a few years ago, great thinker and pastor, said this in his book, Renovation of the Heart, this idea of a restrictive God that limits our freedom drives us to pushing God out of our lives and putting self on the throne of the universe. This inevitably result, results in the ruined soul in the ruined world. So we reach out for autonomy and say, I want to be on the throne. But actually, it's a bit of a lie, because actually, even though it feels like we're in charge, the reality, we're not. We're puppet monarchs. Does anyone know what a puppet monarch is? 
You know, they're kind of like, it's a, it's a puppet monarch is somebody that's put on the throne to look like to the indigenous population that they've got their own rule on the throne, but actually there's a dark power, there's an enemy power that's kind of ruling. That's what we used to do in India, that's what the British used to do. We'd put on a local person, but basically we were in charge. And that's what's happened in the world. It looks like we're in charge. It feels like humanity is in charge. But Paul says, no, no, no. There's these elemental or elementary forces of the world that are kind of working, uh, that are working behind the scenes. And, you know, the Western world mocks this idea of a spiritual games of thrones. It mocks this idea that there's actually some sort of spiritual forces that are making the world a mess. That actually, we just think it's just ours that's making the world a mess. Actually, we, th- we tell ourselves that we're making the world great. But actually, if you're honest, we're making the world a mess. But, but, but Paul says that these hidden beha- powers behind the throne of self, these elemental forces. And, and, and Paul calls them, calls them the empty philosophies. I love the way he says this. Empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking. Imagine him on a talk show. And he just says, well, it's just, you know, it's just empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense. And, and I see it all the time. I mean, don't get me started. You remember I said that, that you know, when you buy a new car, you see them everywhere. I hope, have you spotted anything this week? Has anybody spotted anything? There it is. Let me give you one. Okay. <laughs> a guy uh, goes to work tribunal because he, he, he doesn't want to use different gender pronouns. He basically says, God created people male and female. And he says it's Genesis 1, uh, 27. The court rules, you cannot believe that Bible because that Bible verse is discriminatory. And the funny thing is it says you must believe that there are multiple genders. Now, I'm not going to get into that. And you might think, whoa, he's done it again. He stood on that really sensitive spot. But that's there. And somebody tweeted it's the first time in in, in hundreds of years that believing the Bible is against the law. We'll pick that up next week. But it's there. It's there. Elemental forces, high-sounding nonsense. Somebody came to me in tea and coffee and said, what do we what, what do, we do about, the, about the homosexual debate? What do we do about that? I did talk about that. I think we need to be absolutely loving in that context, but we need to hold the line about the Bible. It's a difficult one. Okay, so it's out there. So there's these elemental forces these fo- and these high-sounding philosophies that sound really great, but when you push into them, it's nothing. And these forces, these kind of philosophies whisper, enthrone self, enthrone self. They say all you need to flourish is more freedom, more autonomy, follow your desires, find your happiness, and who you truly are. The question is, why does Paul call them empty and high-sounding nonsense? Because it's a lie. Enthrone yourself does not lead to fun and fulfillment. Doing more choice, more freedom does not lead to an ultimate happy life. It leads to a mess. So my friend Andrew Haslam, who's preaching here in in January, he lives in London. Uh, My boys just started to go to his church, and he's a clever chap. And he starts blogging about this, and I think, I I wish you were doing the preaching, and I was doing the listening. Yeah, when you come, you'll realize that that's not an exaggeration. Um, but he said this, and I'm going to quote two things from his blog that he put, a blog post that he put out this week, is too much freedom making you miserable. Two big quotes. I thought, I'll just quote him as he is. So Andrew writes, freedom cannot operate without constraint. Think about traffic laws. We hate traffic laws. I hate traffic laws. I have a, a, a difficult relationship with traffic laws. But, you know, but they're there for a reason, eh? 
I know sometimes why they're chasing me down. Why don't they get the people that really break the law? But, you know, we need that. You know, play football. You need rules, don't you? You don't need people rolling around at Anfield pretending it's a penalty. You need proper rules and you need proper refs. We need every Freedom cannot operate without constraints. It says everything we enjoy in life is enjoyable because there are constraints and boundaries. Moral boundaries, he says, make happiness possible. Don't get me started, I must move on. And, and so, as much as we talk about the freedom of the individual to do as they please, to, to simply do what you want to make happy, we all accept without moral limits the world descends into anarchy. So the freedom for heads of state to go and have multiple relationships with multiple people, that might sound like modern freedom. You ask their kid, you ask the kids if that feels great. You ask the ladies, the, the men who's, who've been abandoned if that feels great. One man's freedom is another person's pain and sin. We, what happens is we abuse and hurt each other in uh, another in the name of pleasure seeking. We self-destruct. Constraining some form is inevitable and essential if there's experience any kind of freedom. The only question is who decides where the boundaries lie. And then he continues. Limitless freedom leads to a new kind of oppression and slavery. I've never caught this guy, but I'm glad Andrew Wilson, Andrew um, uh, Haslam did. Philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau. You heard of me? Yeah, you read him as regular reading for you. Jean-Jacques Rousseau put it like this, and this is a great quote. To be driven by our appetites alone is slavery. While to obey the law that we've opposed on ourselves, there it is again, is freedom. Andrew says, in other words, when there are no rules, you end up being a slave to your own desires and lusts, and you have no means to which renounce and conquer them. Russell Brand has famously and candidly spoken about his own addictions and his efforts to get free from them. He puts it like this. We have, we've been taught that freedom is freedom to pursue our petty, trivial desires. He says this staggeringly, real freedom is freedom from our petty, trivial desires. We've been told this lie that we can do what we want and have what we want and that we'll all be happy, but actually it's made us miserable. Paul says, don't let anyone keep you captive or enslave you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the elemental forces of this world. Humanity has enthroned self, but actually we've become enslaved. A friend of mine, I was looking for his quote, I think he said it in discussion with me, he says, we, a guy called Tim Chester, we will not have God rule over us, but we're powerless to rule ourselves, so destructive sin rules. Let me say that again. We will not have God rule over us, we're powerless to rule ourselves, so destructive sin rules over all. You know that's true. Take God out of the equation, put yourself on the throne. In the end, the one who's on the throne is not yourself, but your desires and lusts that are destructive and destroy you. And it's a lie that that's not true. Just dig into the world that we live in, we know it's true. But I think that, that Paul puts it, that, that actually what's happened, the lie is exposed. Freedom hasn't made us really alive, but as the Bible says, it's brought in the destructive creep of death, or as a, you know, this kind of sense of that we're enslaved. 
Paul says like this in Colossians, you were dead because of your sins. So what's the answer? Our culture says more freedom, more casting off restraints, endlessly grasping for more autonomy, consuming more things and more experiences to fill the emptiness. But the answer is no. The answer is the coup d'etat of self and the rule of destructive, selfish desires needs to be ended. Let me say that again. Do you know what a coup d'etat is? It's like when you kick someone else off the throne and put yourself in there. Let's call it the revolution then. The revolution of self and the rule of destructive desires must be ended and sin must be done away with. The rebellion needs to be quashed and the rebels executed and all must swear fealty to the throne of God. So we're going to execute two rebels today. Tom, Nathan, we're going to execute you today. We're going to take you outside and we're going to put you under the water and we're going to hold you down (laughs) because you deserve to die. The way that, the the thing is, there's a little clue that that actually Paul in the middle of this, when he's talking about kind of like, you know, that we need to die, Paul says this, he says, for in Christ all the fullness of God lives in human body who's the ruler over everything and every authority. We need someone else who can rule properly. We need someone who can rule our desires and rule the world properly. And the interesting thing is he's not just God, he's a man. Jesus is the only human not enslaved by elemental desires and passions, not deceived by empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. He's the only one worthy to sit on the throne. That's what they're saying in heaven, worthy you to sit on the throne, because we aren't. But here's the wonder of God's game of thrones... God is not going to establish his kingdom by executing rebellious humanity. But by putting the God-man dying in our place. We know this. It almost like doesn't feel exciting, but the reality is that it's not going to be Nathan and Tom and Judah is going to get die. We know this. It's Jesus that's going to die. God is going to gather up every self-seeking rebellious act every destructive, enslaving, selfish desire, every evil act and injustice. And we cry for injustice. I don't know if you saw... Oh, again, I must... Whoa. Did you see that tweet about the, the, the police officer that was... A, um, uh, the police officer in, in Texas that was uh, uh, sent to prison? This police officer w- uh, bl- breaks into a house and thinks it's her house, shoots a black guy, a black lawyer. The debate is, is is justice going to be done? What's going to happen? Blah, blah, blah. People are thinking she's going to get get off. The, the, The brother of the guy that that was killed says to her in his in his witness statement, I forgive you. I forgive you. And he says, Can I hug her? And I think, you're going too far, aren't you? And it went viral because people said, what amazing grace. But there was something else. Now, the mom said, yes, it's right to forgive the woman who did it, but what about justice? God's going to deal with both of those. He's going to put grace on display. So people who should be punished, rebels and and, and enslaved people who should be punished, are going to be set free. But also, he's going to deal with justice as well. He's not just going to let it go. So that was a freebie. Where were we? So the wonder in God's game of thrones is he's not going to establish his kingdom by executing the rebels. He's going to die himself. In the Roman world, 
We've talked about this before. In the Roman world, crucifixion was so brutal and degrading, it was only inflicted on who? Slaves and rebels. That's why Jesus dies on the cross. There was no, Jesus was no rebel or slave, but our enthronement of self was an act of rebellion. Our, our driven appetites have enslaved us to sin. So Jesus to be crucified in our place, dying naked in the darkness, he died a rebel's death, a slave's death. That's why crucifixion is so horrible, because actually that's what it took to take us off the throne and to take our desires and put them to death. Paul puts it like this. Uh, Paul puts it like this. Oh no, let, actually Paul puts it like this in Philippians. Jesus, who being very nature God, we, we love this passage, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage or grasp. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a slave, being made in human likeness. He became found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is taking himself from the throne, taking on humanity, dying a slave's death, buried in the grave, because that's what it took to change the world. And we must follow him there. Let me say that again. We must follow him there. Paul says in that passage, your attitude should be the same as Jesus. Paul puts it like this in our passage. So you also are worth are complete through your union with Christ, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. This act of baptism that we're going to do out there shouts to heaven and earth, Jesus' death is my death. His righteousness is my righteousness. His self-emptying life is my new life. Bonhoeffer, and we quoted him a few times now, says this, the first suffering, and he suffered. He was in a concentration camp in the Second World War. So he's not writing this to look at just kind of an idea. This is reality. He says, the first suffering we must experience is the call to sunder or cut or break our ties to this world. This is the death of the old human being in the encounter with Jesus Christ. Whoever enters discipleship enters Jesus' death and puts his or her own life into death. This is powerful. Self-denial means knowing only Christ and forgetting oneself. It means seeing only Christ who goes ahead of us and no longer is the path too difficult for us. Again, self-denial is saying only he goes ahead Hold fast to him. You can say, how can I die to myself? I'm so desperate to be in charge. I'm so desperate to do what How can I do that? You've got to follow him into the water. You've got to follow him into death. Jesus enters death and rends asunder all the powers and the stupid thinking in this world and says, I've done it. I put it to an end. Paul puts it like this. He cancelled the record of charges against us, took it away, nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory on the cross. You've died with Christ and he set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world? I don't know about you, if you, do you ever feel that you hear this accusing voice? You're not good enough. You ought to be ashamed. How can God love someone as broken as you? And you hear that voice, 
and you say, it's true. But actually, there's another voice that's louder than that. Jesus has cancelled the basis of that accusation. He's taken away your sin. And you've got to believe this. In dying with Jesus, you become truly free. In Jesus, and I say this, you know, saying it's an ongoing challenge, but like when I follow him and when his power works in me, we're free from our petty, enslaving, trivial desires. Russell Brand, it's interesting, he's been thinking, you know, I probably shouldn't become a Christian. He's been reading and thinking and exploring because he's saying, I'm seeing that the only way to get free from my petty, trivial desires is, is to follow Jesus. But he's kind of really struggling with it, so pray for him. Because he doesn't want to let go. Because he feels he's got too much to give up. He feels his hands are full of a world, and we feel like that in lesser extent. We think, man, I can't give it up. I've got too much to give up. But actually, it's only in letting go, in, in giving it away and saying, I'm done with all this, that we're free. Free from the deceiving voices, free from the empty philosophy, free from the endless trying to prove ourselves, endless trying to be ourselves, free from the spiritual forces of this world. So the thing about reassuring that death is followed by resurrection, you all laughed when I said we're going to hold them under the water, but death is followed by resurrection. And that's not just merely an interesting idea. It's actually the tr it's a powerful truth. I, I was thinking about it and thought, how can I describe it? It's like the big bang of a new creation. It's like, a, you know, science would say that our, our world started with a big bang and suddenly this creation came into being. The Bible says that the resurrection of Jesus is this big bang event that starts a whole new world, that, that changes us from this messed up, broken world. Bonhoeffer again. Where the cross stands, the resurrection is near. Precisely here, when all might lose faith in God, when all might despair about the power of God, it doesn't work. Believing it doesn't, isn't really real. He says, God is fully there, and Christ is alive and near. Christ did not come into the world that we might discuss him, but that we might cling to him, that we might simply let ourselves be swept away into the immense event of the resurrection. It's almost like what's happened is you go, as you, as you become a Christian, you say, I die to self, and then what happens is there's this expulsive power that trains, lifts us to heaven. We know that because actually, the, I think it's great, it's water, because water does bounce us back up, doesn't it? So if you're getting baptized, you don't have to worry, just let us take you down, the water will bounce you back. And there's a resurrection power of the life of Jesus that's going to bounce us back up into heaven. Let me finish with these few things, thoughts. You think, right, okay, now I've become a Christian, I've got to try my best to be a good person. Try my best not to love myself in a way that's destructive or follow my desires in a way that's destructive. And if I kind of think high, uh, happy, you know, happy thoughts and think, sing happy songs on Sunday, that that's going to do it. But actually there's another power at work that lifts us. The resurrection power of Jesus lifts us to a different dimension. Some of you are like, oh... That is, you know, we've got to believe that, that the, the resurrection power of Jesus is going to make you and lift you and transform you to be the person that God has made you and designed you to be. It's not just we believe this empty philosophy as opposed to somebody else's empty philosophy. This is not empty philosophy. This is power from God to lift us to heaven. 
Colossians 3, at the end of our reading. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ. I mean, we just pass over that. That's incredible. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not about the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real identity, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you share in his glory. What's that saying? Paul puts it a little bit differently, but the same idea in Ephesians 2, we've been perhaps more familiar. God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, made us alive with Christ even when we're dead in sins. It's by grace you're saved, it's not yourself. This is amazing. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Where does this end? It ends on the throne. It's staggering. Let me read what I put. The staggering beauty of God's game of thrones is that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we who tried to take his throne and we who thought freedom was being free from God's rule now gladly die to self. And the life we live, we're united with Jesus on his throne. It finishes on the throne. We should have been killed, we should have been ended, it should have been the end of story, but it finishes on the throne. It finishes on the throne. You want to be on the throne, but yet you, get, you do, you get to sit there with him. You get to sit there with Jesus. Let John Stott, I'll finish with this. John Stott, uh, theologian, British theologian, said this some years ago. This talk about being united with Christ in his death, resurrection and exaltation is not a piece of meaningless Christian mysticism. Like, like as if it has no impact on your life. As if you go out there and you just live like everybody else. You try and do it by your own energy and by your own efforts. No, it's not saying that. It's not some Christian mysticism, isn't it? Nice and happy place. It bears witness to a living experience that Jesus has given us new life. And then he says in brackets with... What does that mean? A sensitivity to the awareness of the presence or reality of God. A love for him and his people. And a new victory with the evil increasingly put under our feet. We can live differently. Where we thought, I can't be free from these passions. We can be. We were dead, but we've been made alive. We were rebels and slaves, but we've been enthroned. Lord Jesus... I thank you for this brilliant picture of baptism. Lord, it's not just getting wet. It's not just some funny idea. Lord, I thank you that it means that we've died to all the struggles and battles and false thinking. And we've risen with you. And a new power is at work in us by your spirit, by your grace, at work in us to live a different life. I pray for all of us that we'd feel it, that we wouldn't think this is just an idea, but we'd feel the spiritual reality of this upthrust from, <laughs> from the grave to heaven. Lord, I thank you that just as you were exalted to the highest place, Jesus, you've taken us there, not to be exalted, but to share this beautiful life of God with you. And pray for all of us that it would be a challenge for us to understand this cultural moment that we have died to self and risen with you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.